Tonight on the Cat Scare Podcast, we talk about hereditary. Hey, hey, what's that noise? Huh? Huh? What the heck? What's that noise? Uh, Get to the podcast. Hello, and thank you for joining us on the Cat Scare Podcast. My name's Campbell. I'm Michael. And we're here to talk about a very exciting movie. And once again, if you weren't there for the first episode, I would like to preface this by saying that I'm a super huge nut for horror. I'm a semi-nut for horror. I mean, like, I nut so hard for horror. I can't can't take it. Um, and, and really a lot of this is the journey of, of my favorite thing is watching Michael, who is a semi-huge fan, like hopefully one day he'll be just as crazy about it as me. So today we're talking about a very lauded, as well as polarizing film, Hereditary, 2018. Would you like to go, who directed the movie, Michael? Ari Aster. Ari Aster. It was his debut feature film. And that's, and, and really and truthfully... To say that this movie was a young man's debut film, we talked about Sam Raimi last week. The control and technique he uses in this in this movie, as well as the acting on all parts, uh, just raises it above. I hear that term "elevated horror" a lot, <laughs> um, you know, and I, I'm a big fan of it. I love pretentious crap, but elevated horror is is. Uh, where people take more time and effort into making the scene, the setting, the it's feel. A very, it's a very slow burn. Slow burn. And um, like everybody loves how, like, what, we have the Golden Age of Television. That's one thing I liked about Golden Age Television is slow burn watching the show. This is done in a two-hour setting. See, what's great about these slow burns is it's such a... You get used to that pacing, and it always, at the end, it gets... It's just like balls to the wall. Yeah, I, I love the movie House of the Devil. That's another one uh, that's very good. And it starts out where the first first hour, there's absolutely nothing going on. It's just watching a, a girl get a house-sitting job. And uh, she's just being a normal college girl. And then when it turns, that's when the movie's got you. <coughs> Michael... Hereditary. Do we want to go over the plot to start off and, and then mention some of our favorite things? Yeah, we'll, we'll try and squeeze down the plot. Into, it's tough. It's going to be a tough one today. There's a lot in this movie. There's a ton. It's a wonderful, wonderful movie. <clears throat> okay. Alright, so the film begins uh, with an opening shot peering into a miniature house, uh, which then reveals our characters. Uh, an artist named Annie Graham lives in Utah with her husband Steve, their 16-year-old son Peter, and their eccentric and reserved 13-year-old daughter Charlie. And they aren't Mormon. No, they're not. <laughs> uh, their mother died. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. At the funeral of, the, of her secretive mother, Ellen Lee... Annie delivers a eulogy explaining their fraught relationship and her mother's extremely private life. A week later, Steve is informed that Ellen's grave has been desecrated and Annie thinks she sees an apparition of Ellen in her workshop. Which, a, which I'm going to pause the... Okay. Number one, 
favorite scene, period, the thing that hooked me to the movie was the apparition of her mother in the workshop. Really? I, I was like, okay, this movie, I get what it's trying to do a little bit. However, like, I was not expecting that. And I, I, like, I saw it, and I just remember, like, I'm, like, really looking through just like she is. I'm, like, looking through the shadows going, whoa, 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 whoa. Is that somebody standing there? And then light turns on going. That was the scene that hooked me, and I said, oh, this is going to be a ride. I can't wait to see it. Well, they they got me a little later, but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, at a support group for the bereaved. For the people grieving death. Yeah, uh, I, I called it... Lo- uh, lost a loved one. Yeah, I called it L-O-L-O-L-A-L-O-A. Or La Loa. La Llorona? Not La Llorona. It's... What is it? Losing a loved one anonymous. So at a support group, Annie reveals that the rest of her family suffered from mental illness and that resulted in their deaths and Ellen was a significant figure in raising Charlie. To attend a party, the son Peter lies that he is going to a school event and Annie forces him to take Charlie with him. Unsupervised, Charlie eats cake containing nuts and falls into anaphylactic shock. Yeah, which they uh, previously in a throwaway line mentioned at uh, the grandmother's funeral, um, that she's, she's eating chocolate, and they're like, "You sure that doesn't have any nuts?" And she's like, "No, it doesn't have any nuts." No, it doesn't like, have any nuts. And they keep asking, like everyone asks, "You sure that doesn't have any nuts?" So that's a good way to foreshadow that without hitting it over the head. So she's going in the shock as Peter drives her to a hospital. She leans out of the window for air. Uh, when he swerves to avoid a dead deer, she's decapitated mm-hmm. by a telephone pole. In shock. Peter drives home and leaves Charlie's headless corpse in the car. Oh, man. The family grieves the next morning following Charlie's funeral, heightening tensions between Annie and Peter and causing Annie to behave coldly towards Steve. Peter is plagued by Charlie's presence around the house. Uh, Hearing Charlie's tongue clicks. Yeah, uh, which is a nice little... A good audio signifier yeah. for something. That that was a very smart move on their part. From what I understand, the actress who played Charlie came up with that herself, and they liked it so much they used it through the movie. Hmm. I didn't know that. So, Annie is befriended by a support group member, Joanne or Joan. I, is I, it Joan? It's or Joan? Joan, and I it's and, Joan. I, and I, I call her Patty from the Leftovers, and you never trust Patty from the Leftovers. Also, if you're a hands, handmade tale, you don't want to trust her either. So. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, Annie tells her that she used to sleepwalk and recounts an incident in which she woke up in Peter's bedroom to find herself, Peter, and Charlie covered in paint thinner with a lit match in her hand. Joan teaches Annie to perform a seance to communicate with Charlie, and Annie convinces her family to attempt the seance. Objects begin to move and break, terrifying Peter. Charlie seemingly possesses Annie until Steve douses her with water. Annie suspects that Charlie's spirit has become malevolent. She throws Charlie's sketchbook into the fireplace, but her sleeve also begins to burn. She retrieves it and heads to Joan's apartment for advice, but Joan is gone. Annie notices that Joan's welcome mat resembles her mother's craftswork. It also revealed that rituals inside the apartment involve pictures of Peter. A lot of alliteration. <laughs> that, that's I a little know. bit of At least it wasn't picturesque Peter's of 
Peter's of pictures. Peter Piper pictures. <laughs> uh, well, at least it wasn't Peter's Peter that it was a picture of. Pe- I wonder if his Peter, picture of Peter's Peter. I wonder if Peter's Peter had a big mole on the side too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I used to have a uh, a principal who had a mole that moved around his face. Really, it was like one of those caterpillar moles. Yeah, you, know, you didn't know what it was going. Oh, shoot. Okay. Continuing. Uh, Annie goes through her mother's possessions and finds a photo album linking Joan to Ellen and a book with information about a demon named Payman who wishes to inhabit the body of a male host. In the attic, Annie finds Ellen's decapitated body with occult symbols on the wall written in blood. At school, Peter gets kind of possessed and slams his head against his desk breaking his nose uh, breaking his nose and he is brought home Annie shows Steve her mother's body and the sketchbook she begs him to burn the sketchbook so she can sacrifice herself to stop the haunting but he thinks she's gone mad and accuses her of desecrating Ellen's grave herself Annie throws the book into the fireplace, which makes Steve suddenly burst in the flame. As Annie screams in terror, Payman takes possession of her, and she immediately falls silent and into a trance. Outside, a coven of worshippers begin to assemble. Peter awakens to find his father's body before a possessed Annie chases him into the attic, which is decorated with occult imagery. And swinging dicks. Oh, yeah. There's a lot, a lot of swinging dicks in this movie. At com- the end. It's sure. a common thing. Well, it was a common thing for any pagan or satanic cult yeah. to just get completely butt-ass naked. Um, See some titties tonight. Despite Peter locking himself inside, he suddenly discovers Annie in the attic, levitating in the air, looking down on him, while beheading herself with a piano wire, mm. while naked coven members watch Peter with eerie smiles. That's, that's a lot to take in in that. It's, that a, it's a, a great, it's a, what a great damn ending. <laughs> Terrified, Peter jumps out of the window. As he lies on the ground, a shadow is seen leaving his body, where after a light it enters it in its place, and he wakes up. He follows Annie's levitating corpse into Charlie's treehouse, where Charlie's crowned, severed head rests atop a mannequin. <laughs> Joan and other coven members and the headless corpses of his mother and grandmother bow to him. Joan addresses him as Charlie and swears an oath to him, informing him that he is Payman, one of the eight kings of hell, and that he has now been liberated from his female host. She asks him to bind all men to their will, as they have bound theirs now and forever to his. Zoom out of the treehouse... And credits. Mindfuck. Who saw that coming at the beginning? Nobody. Nobody. It really. I mean. I mean, like, I I hate to be like, like. Let's talk about every great scene because, like, literally, there are tons of great scenes in this movie. Yeah, we probably should have prefaced in the beginning if you have not watched this movie. It's it's 2021. If you have not watched one of the top horror movies in the last decade, in this early, early decade. One one that I I would say, this is probably one of the best horror movies I've ever watched. Yeah. In general. I I don't know if it's at the top for me. Uh, I might still have more... 
He's gonna see a bunch of good ones. You're gonna also see a lot of shitty ones. Well, I'm I'm excited too. I, I probably still have a little more nostalgia for things like you know The Exorcist, that Poltergeist. You know, well, actually, I don't like you Poltergeist. don't like Poltergeist. No, but what maybe we'll, maybe we'll Craig come Demons. back to that another day. Yeah. Um, I you know like I I was a big fan when I was a kid of comedy horrors, Gremlins, Tremors, stuff like that. I, I like that, and and like a recent movie that came out, I guess in seventeen maybe. With Tony Collette, and it was Krampus, and that's a Christmas horror movie, and it had a lot of humor in it. Um, I did not watch that yet. Well, that's coming up in Christmas. I, we plan to yeah. during the Christmas season. Yeah, yeah, we'll see a lot of Christmas. Never got around season. to it. I would like. I've never really like sat and watched the original um, Silent Night, Deadly Night, and stuff like that. I would like to watch that kind of stuff. Yeah, Hereditary. I guess. I guess number one, um, the main scene, the first thing we need to talk about is decapitation scene. That see that's the movie for me. Yeah. Or that that's the scene for me that turned me on for this movie. I mean, it was that's the thing about slow burn movies. You got to have just one thing that grabs you and holds you. Yeah. And this was the scene that finally did. It only it only happened like 30 minutes into the film. Yeah, you're already it, you're already sitting down watching a family drama with a little bit of of supernatural added to it. Not a lot. But once Charlie's head gets decapitated, that's when things rip up. Um, so let's start the scene out, okay? Um, Tony Collette character says, "Hey, what you doing tonight?" Peter says, "I'm going to the school function. Uh, just can I borrow one of the cars?" Uh, she says, "Sure, but you got to take Charlie." He says, "Does Charlie? Does Charlie want me to take her?" He, she goes, "Have you asked her?" Uh, Tony Collette's <laughs> character. While being highly sympathetic in what she's going through, is one of the biggest monsters I've ever seen. <laughs> but but once again, she's got mental issues. The family has mental issues, um, and she's going through a bunch of grief. I just realized, did they mention in this about her sleepwalking? They did mention. They, yeah, well, she does sleepwalk, but not at this point in the movie. It only well one one thing to keep in mind. They mentioned before about her sleepwalking and uh, about almost setting fire to Peter yeah, and which is Charlie, and that. So Peter and Annie do not have a good relationship. No, it's all very cold. Not at all. Not uh, at all. And Peter's a big stoner. Um, you know, I think uh, in my notes I said, "Oh, poor Peter's jerking off the Facebook pictures of that girl he likes." <laughs> uh, what, what's her name? Uh, Bridget. Bridget. Yeah. So I had a dog named Bridget. <laughs> I didn't jerk off to her, um, but anyway, so so Peter reluctantly takes Charlie, and they go to this banger high school banger of a party. I'm talking about like like this this is a this is a fucking party. Like this is one you see on on movies. You know, drinks are flowing, but once again, Ari Aster, fantastic director. Is going to show you little things that kind of clue you into what's going to happen. At the very beginning, you see these these girls making cake, just bang. Yeah, they, I think I think Bridget. Yeah, was they, there. They were making the yeah, cake. She was making the one cake. Cut, she was cutting nuts. up nuts. I mean, just like a thousand peanuts. I've never seen so many nuts in my life, except for at the end of the movie. Um, <laughs> but, but so Peter, you know, being cool, Peter Stoner, Peter is like, "Hey, you smoke?" And she's like. Yeah, we get a bung in the next room. He's like, sweet. And, uh, and, uh, oh, smush face Charlie's like, what do I do? <laughs> and, uh, Peter's like, I don't know, just get a cake. Get a cake right there. You know that cake? That, that not ominous cake? 
go get that cake. Just wait in line, fatty. Go get that cake. Um, so <laughs> Peter's in there hanging out. Time passes. Charlie eats the cake. Looks like, eh, something's a little off. You know, they're super stoned. I mean, they are baked. And Charlie comes in going, <gasps> can't breathe. And that sets in the motion. Then the badass... Oh, and the music. Yeah, the badass and, and musical score, which, by the way, the music is very good at building tension in this movie, too. At the very beginning, they had, like, a... It's kind of like a needling score, like it's needling you. Yeah, what's that? Uh, uh, Colin Stetson. Who did a great job. Uh, did the music. And, um, but the once you start getting in the car, it's a pounding music, almost like a heartbeat, you know. Boom, 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 boom. Well, it's kind of like a... Yeah, and I mean, but it... The, it between... Peter's extremely stoned, nervous face, and Charlie writhing around in pain, not being able to open up her airwaves. Um, it really sets up this this moment. Oh, she's got to get some air, but then something's in the middle of the road. The dead carcass, deer, or something. I don't know. It's in Utah. Mormon. Yeah, it was a deer. Okay, not not a Mormon. Not a dead, dead Mormon. deer with the bicycle. And then telephone pole. And not when. When she hit her head, I, I watched it with my fiance uh, because I love watching her squirm at horror movies. <laughs> this, this is a squirmer, <laughs> and that we were that took our breath away. Yeah, we both. It's hard to watch. Covered our mouths, yeah. gas. I I really felt like Peter there. You know how he after you know the he crashes, uh, he stops the car, and you can't even look back. He no. bar- he barely looks in the mirror, but quickly. Looks turns back because he's afraid to see what's there, and I, I felt the same. So I, I got, yeah, yeah. I really mean, who was the uh, Wolf? Is the last name of that? A- Alex Wolf. Alex Wolf uh, from Jumanji. Um, Naked Brothers Band. Yeah, yeah Jumanji's. He was great in Jumanji, and this movie too. But but really, he sold that. I mean, I mean, the despair that you have to have uh, uh, of accidentally causing uh, your sister's death. Is 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 very is very watchable. He's very watchable at kind of his shocked gaze. He gets back to the house, doesn't even wake his parents up. He leaves the body in the car, and yeah, I mean, cause like, what do you do? What do you do? Yeah, what do you? What do would you do in that, that situation? Would you go say, uh, "Mom and Dad, here's uh, Charlie's decapitated body"? Do you go to the police? Do you go to the hospital? But he did what a teenage boy who probably smoked too much drugs would do and that is just well i imagine that event probably sobered him up probably pretty good yeah from that yeah so um he's basically stays awake all night until the morning when uh his parents his parents wake up and and they go out and and then you hear the scream i mean like who screams which tony collette has some great screams yeah like the, i just wrote in my notes Hold on, let's see. It says, the screams, the screams. How does she scream like that? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's wild that you see this person. Like, I remember Tony Collette in, um, I think she was in Unbreakable or The Sixth Sense. I think it's Sixth Sense. She's the mom. Was that? Yeah. See, I, I yeah. thought that, but yeah. I didn't I didn't look into it, so yeah. I wasn't sure. She's but the I mom didn't. in Sixth Sense. And, like, from go, now going from M. Night Shyamalan's robotic way he gets actors to act... Well, I'd say even in the sixth sense. Well, I mean, she's great. She, yeah, she was fantastic. But you never, you never would know that she would turn out. I mean, this has to be her tour de force performance. Period, because um, she plays it up and down and all around. I mean, she does everything uh, that yeah. somebody going through grief would do. 
as well as dealing with the supernatural side of stuff. She's very believable in that. <clears throat> Another thing I would like to, to um, bring up is, is Joan. Um, once again, that's um, Ann Dowd, who played Patty on The Leftovers, which is my favorite TV show, and also plays the like the head mistress lady in The Hand, Handmaid Tale. Um, she's a great actress. Uh, she plays normally plays these parts. You start to think she's sweet, and then she's actually not at all. Um, it's kind of like casting Tim Curry and some, and yeah. trying to convince us that he's good, or trying to convince that he's not a fucking pervert yeah. or something, you know. <laughs> um, Ann Dowd, uh, watching Ann Dowd work her magic on on Tony Collette's character is another thing to behold. Uh, I was just like, this is like the fourth time I've seen this movie, and I just sat there like enamored at how those two play off each other and how they act. Um, because Joan does, I mean, all of a sudden she's about to leave, you know, Loved Ones Anonymous, and there's Joan popping out of the side. Hey, hey, hey! I mean, it, it, I mean with it, with my mom being a teacher, she often gets stopped by like parents of her students. Yeah, and I saw that way too clearly <laughs> in Joan's uh, yeah. introduction. <laughs> hey, 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 I I saw you last meeting. No, no, I mean, <laughs> where she was like. like I know what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah. The way the payment group infiltrates this family is also fun to watch, too. And when you've seen it before, you see it even more clearly when you see it the second time. That that was something that... Because this was my first time watching this movie. I put it off until now. Um, hopefully this podcast will finally get me to start watching films that have just been building up on my list. Uh, and this is definitely one of them. I'm very glad I saw this. But so it's my first time. I definitely want to watch this again. I even I started to pick up on yeah uh, a lot of the hints the that it was. It started right from the very beginning at uh, Ellen's funeral when you have that man, the smiling uh, man. Yeah, the smiling man. The self uh, I called him self tanner creepy smile man. So, which uh, now that it's one of the things that. You thought, oh man, that's kind of weird. Yeah, why is that? But guy then, super but happy? then it moves on. It was one of the things that once you get all the pieces, yeah, it all starts to make sense. But there are some things that surprise that, you. Yeah, I mean, you weren't. Well, there's a lot of things that surprise <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, like um, like at the very end, once again, when we're doing the conclusion of the story, you know, the darkness falls and you see those people naked as a jaybird standing around the house. Um, but I guess the one thing I didn't see coming the first time is Spider-Man Tony Collette flying around oh, the house. Yeah. That's <laughs> I mean, what the fuck? Like, no one's going to ever fucking see that coming because that's fucking crazy. I love how that was both hilarious and terrifying. Terrifying. Like, like he gets up, sits up, and he has no clue. as She's just sitting there, silent as can be, in the corner of the room, prep like ready to pounce you're talking about that's a human cat scare i mean that like that she's ready to do that um but like the way they play it and the way she's just slinking around the house quiet going here going there um it's just awesome like i mean what a cool way to do that um and then her banging on the damn attic door with her head i mean oh yeah i mean i was like what in the world are we watching So that's an I love that part. That's another good part. So, so you saw 
So, like, when I saw it, I picked up the, when she said, oh, my mother made mats like that for her friends. Like, that kind of clued me in that something's off when I first watched it. For me, it not so much the um, the mat. It was more... Um, I mean, I, I started thinking there would be a connection yeah. between them. Uh, but by that point... See, here's the thing about this film. It, in the beginning, it almost seems like it's going one way, and then it totally changes once Charlie is decapitated. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, the, that's the driving force of the movie after that. The... I mean, at the beginning, after Ellen's funeral, we see apparitions of her, and there's some weird things that happen. Uh, you do you remember the you remember the um, miniature of them sleeping in bed and the the mom, the grandmothers, hanging out in the doorway. Oh, I thought you were talking about the one where they're in bed and Grandma's just holding her titty yeah, out, that like too. "Let me feed her." Yeah, that too. <laughs> but do you remember? Do you remember when she's just standing in the doorway? Yeah. See, like that to me, like in their mind, that was dementia. You know, they talked about her having dementia. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, no, this is called uh, one of Satan's warriors, like working around around the clock to get this family. <laughs> I mean, it, it's kind of nuts how like to play with mental illness like that. And to attack vulnerable people like that is what most of the time in these cult movies are, are like my favorite part of it. You know, the breaking of the family cycle, the breaking of the family psyche. Oh, yeah. So it was really neat. How well, they- it so in the beginning, like this film leads you to believe that, you know, grandma's dead uh, and now grandma is haunting. Yep. Uh, but it's it's not that, at least not completely that no it's there but it's not because it there's a lot in this movie that leads me to believe like I, i'm not necessarily sure on what is real and what isn't uh one because of an uh annie's sleepwalking yeah um with they they have a couple scenes where that comes in the play of like messing with her mind but after Charlie loses her head, that's when the the cult stuff really starts coming in. That's as, as soon as Charlie's decapitated. That's when Joan comes in. Uh, that's when Annie looks in the attic and yeah. uh, looks at the books. So 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 Annie has a dream about her and the paint thinner. Like we get to see it reenacted. In a way. Yeah. And uh, I wrote, late nine confessions, worst mother of all time. <laughs> but, like, like you don't know what's real. You don't know what's a dream. You know, whenever Joan brings her in and shows her the seance that she had, you know, oh, I went somewhere and did this. All you have to do is read these ancient words, and your daughter will come back and hang out with you. Um, these it, ancient words that if... that if you paid attention, were slowly being written all over the house. Yeah, and then, like, my favorite part is that not only did she say, what language is this? Her husband said, what language is this? They know some, like they know what they're doing is wrong, but grief is pushing this, too. Grief and remorse. They're pushing Annie to bring back her daughter when all they did was sign the death, the death certificate for her, her whole entire family. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, and, and then, like, I when that happens, when she wakes them all up and gets them to do that, I said, nothing like a good morning seance. Like, hey, everybody, here's your cereal. Oh, by the way, we're going to contact the dead. Peter's not having it. 
what was the dad's name? I keep I'm, I'm Steve. Miss, Steve. Steve really wasn't having it. There's the some... only reason I knew his name was because of the synopsis. Oh, okay, good. That's Steve. Uh, uh, what's it? David Byrne. His name's David Byrne. He was English, uh, but he occasionally his Irish accent would come up. <laughs> but he yeah, was it's good. Gabriel too. Byrne. Gabriel Byrne. David Byrne. Someone else. Anyway, Gabriel Byrne. Man, there's just too much to talk about. I could talk all night. Okay, so well, all right. Okay. How, how's this? Uh, I want to get your your thoughts on something. Cause this okay. has been something that's racked racked my brain on this movie. What do you think is going on with the light? You you see in multiple scenes. Yeah, there's a light. The, this yeah. light that kind of pulses uh, and seemingly leads. Well, that's Payman. That's Payman haunting the. That's not Charlie. That's Payman. Um, you know, Payman at the very end, whenever the shadow dissipates or goes away from um, Peter's body, you see that it, it almost looks like a like a you know when it's cotton ball those like air balls you know the, like yeah. the plant balls it like floats back into his his body and that's it. But Payman's the one that's that light. You so know. Then what about the shadow that leaves? Um that leaves Peter's body. That's Peter. Peter said bye-bye. That's Peter's soul. Before payment comes in? Yeah, before payment. Because, see, like, you you saw the pictures. All the pictures of Peter had his eyes cut out. Which... And then all the drawings I, of P- Peter had X's in his eyes. That's because Peter is just a vessel. Well, I did, I did see that apparently... Uh, cut content Peter was supposed to have his eyes gouged out really yeah but uh, test audiences didn't like didn't it like I, it. I don't know if it was like too gruesome probably or, too gruesome there's a lot of gruesome stuff in this or if it was uh, I'm not exactly sure but they cut it out well see like I was I was like fully expecting and I guess I remember this wrong but I thought when Tony Collette cuts her head off of the piano wire that we saw it saw it all but I'm glad we didn't, because <laughs> that would have been. I think that would have been a little too much. I mean, we saw a good. You saw it, but you heard the roll out because he jumps out the window after he sees the naked smiling people. Yeah, and then yeah, you that, hear that's the roll. what makes him run. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not his mother cutting her head off because he probably wanted to do that a long time ago. Um, but it, it, it's the naked people that are just eerily smiling because they're so happy. Their their savior's coming. Payment's here, um, which. Did you notice that all the the cult members were the same people from the support group? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Like they infiltrated their life without them knowing, and it's it's great. And I, well, that one of the great things about this movie, and it, it's a theme that transitions into his sequel. Uh, well, not sequel, but his next film, um, Midsummer, is this theme of control, and. I mean, right from the very beginning, setting up this house by zooming into a dollhouse uh, yeah. automatically sets this up as uh, something where th- this family, as much as you think you have control, you you don't. You're way in over your head. The the cult has got you. Even as much as this all seems like happenstance. No, it's not. It, it's, it's all not. planned. Um, Very convoluted plan. Yeah, yeah. But plan nonetheless. Like on the way to the party, what I I, I noticed on my fourth viewing was you see the car zooming down the highway, but then it stops on the pole. The pole was there. Like it already was part of the plan. And uh, another thing I liked what he did too was whenever something bad or something bad was going to happen, he paused on those things just a little bit. 
the attic. There was a scene where it started up at the attic door and went down, but it stayed on that attic a little too long. Um, the piano, you know, you see the wires busted from the one that cuts off her head. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, he... Just he, seeing when he goes up in the attic and seeing the piano. He... The, this is, These movies are about control, but he has total control of his movies. Yeah. So, that's the one thing I like. I like a guy... Like, my favorite... One of my favorite television shows, Breaking Bad. Vince Gilligan and his crew did a very good job. And maybe you can say retconning was a part of it. They were able to be smart about that. But I felt like they had total control... Oh, they definitely their show. Did. They definitely yeah. did. And, um, and I think that when a director who's as young as this guy, or as green as this guy, can make two very, very beautiful, disturbing, well-acted films, that, that just, I mean, he, the sky's the limit for this guy, and outside of horror, too. I mean, I, yeah, this movie's a that's, drama. That's another know? thing about this film. Uh, it really was just shot so beautifully. Yeah. Um, I got I got a lot of like Kubrick yeah. vibes, and uh, that's a, uh, I, I it's very like The Shining, in like more obvious ways, like how they have the camera follow behind someone, almost like following Danny's tricycle, um, to the these long shots down hallways. There's a lot of symmetry in the movie, but then in more like subtle, well, I wouldn't call it subtle, but ways that you might not think about as you're watching the movie like um the these cuts between the horror and the reaction uh is almost exactly how danny reacts to the the twins in the hallway yeah yeah tony collette has a great like frozen for horror face like when he goes she goes into um peter's room and he's covered in amps Oh, and her God. face is oh. just like it's like ride back in fear and anguish, and then he's like, "Mom, what are you doing?" She's like, "Oh, hey, you know, I just now here's one thing. So, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> the scene where Peter hears um, Charlie in the room, and he and he looks, and he sees her in the corner, and then she leans her head over, and the ball rolls out. Oh yeah. And then the hands hands come out of behind the bed, and it's choking Peter. Do you think that really was her, his mom? Well, I don't. I, as far as like literally, his mom. I, it might have been. It would have been neat if they did use Tony Collette's hands. Yeah, which I think they uh, did. In that. But I, I just don't know if like that was a dream. That's the only. That's literally the only question I had last night rewatching it. I go. So he's screaming, and then it goes away and goes to. Steve, the father, that comes back to the room and she's standing in the corner and going, I, what are you talking about? I didn't. There's there's something we missed in that scene with her and him. But I, I always to this date wonder if that really was, and, and it may not have been how it was shot, you know? Like, because there's no room behind that bed to do that. Oh, yeah. But maybe it really did happen in a sense. I don't know. That's my only, like, for a movie that really, really is stretches on supernatural versus reality that's the only one I, I guess I just have questions about well, there are a couple things that um, when when you try to piece it all together it, it doesn't seem like it necessarily fits like uh, at the school whenever Peter uh, he's hearing the, the all that and he looks in one of the cabinets and through the, through the reflection of the glass on it 
uh, he sees himself and he his yeah smiling Peter uh, yeah it's like a smiling smirking Peter of him. yeah yeah that it, it's like it doesn't seem like it necessarily fits in the overall narrative well I t- I don't take that I take that back uh, like I said I I whenever I see him I think that he that's that's Payman smiling back at him that's who Payman's gonna be he knows it um I don't know and then there's another scene where like he's walking down the hall and then the light refractory light squares off the whole hallway and zooms down to the classroom. That Was that before that part, or was that the one where he smashes his head into the... Wait, say it again. Oh, oh, that was, um, that... That was before he smashed his head, but that was after... The smile after that scene. What? Yeah. And let me look back I'm at trying to remember how that series of events goes, but I thought that was kind of a cool... Like, like he can't even go to class. <laughs> He's not safe in class. That, that payment's always around. But it, it was definitely, it was before he smashed his head in. Which, uh, so, if he was, who was possessing him when he smashed his head? Payment. It's if, always so, payment. If it's always payment. The only time One, it one of the things about um, that, that scene in particular that got me is just how... I think he was made to look and act like he was Charlie. You think? There. See, I thought about that while it was going on, but then I'm, I'm, I'm like, because I don't even think that that's Charlie. Because they, they were building this kind of connection. You remember yeah, when he was choking, doing the, the weed? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he seemed as if he was having the same reaction uh, that she, that she was. Well, he's like I can't breathe. I do think that this is the case. Payman is Charlie. Charlie is payment. The only difference is he was stuck. Payment was stuck in a girl's body. In order to get him to his full form, he had to be in a male body. So I do believe we're both right. Because she was the one that was cutting heads off of stuff and making these statues. Like There's a lot of cutting heads off things. And you notice uh, whenever uh, Tony Collette and he smashes all her... Um, her miniatures and stuff, and she's like, "I'm done. I'm done doing this." Yeah. Uh, the the head was ripped off of Peter's doll. No, I did not know that. I didn't say that. Well, another. Do you remember how like there was something supernatural guiding the whole thing? Because after she met Joan and Joan gave her that number, she spills the paint she was working on, and it landed on top of. All of a sudden, here's the note from Joan underneath it with the number. Like more things were leading them in this direction. And um, but I do think we're right. I think we're both right. Payments, Charlie, Charlie's payment. So I think we're both correct. That 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 was. Now, uh, what about whenever they did the early morning seance before cartoons? Um, remember when she switches when Tony Collette turns into Charlie? I thought that was a really strong scene too that I didn't remember until I watched it the fourth time. Um, her her changing on a dime from that, getting water splashing her face, still like what? What's going on? The movie is fantastic, and as a horror lover, as well as just a lover of movies in general, and good acting and good directing, it is oh, yeah. worth I a was, watch. I was very pleasantly surprised uh, by Tony Collette. And Alex Wolf. Yeah, both uh, both, both did. I, I throw an Ann Dowd in there because I think she was great in that too. I think she played her her role well, but it didn't like wow me in the way that, particularly Alex Wolf. Uh, I think for me, mostly 
mostly due to that scene uh, where Charlie is decapitated. It's wild. It's hard to watch, um, but it is it is beautiful at the same time for something so horrific. And the same with the whole movie. It's 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 like watching a slow train wreck. You want to turn away at some of it, but you you know you'll never see this again. Like you got to watch this. Um, now, do do we want to go over? Do you want to want me to read some of my stray observations? Well, we got. More I, I, want, I want to discuss one thing. Go ahead. So th- this movie received a lot of critical appraise. Yeah, uh, it's very. Yeah, it was like an eighty-nine percent. I think it's so. higher than that. I thought I, I thought I saw ninety-two. Yeah, I mean it, it. It was pretty high. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which is the only rating. This is the only um, one that counts yeah. nowadays. I myself, I'm I'm a, a green splat. Is that bad? Yeah, for my Rotten Tomatoes rating oh, yeah. myself. Yeah, I'm just one big human green splat. Yeah. But so the the um, the viewer response from you know the average Joe was pretty low I think it was that people on, walked that only the got to like a 60% yeah people walked out so. of the theater after the decapitation scene and I, I've noticed that this is something that's come up many times like with this movie uh, with mother uh, with midsummer where the critics love these movies but audiences don't and yet audience seemed audiences seem to like things like uh Tran- transformers well <laughs> <laughs> well that's very different <laughs> to stick in the horror realm uh it's one that Shia LaBeouf in it is horror is horrible um like it too it, yeah it part two uh Which, audiences still really uh really like that I like Critics the first it the second one's not so good yeah not so good which is a shame because um, the first one was really good but so why why do you think that this movie and these movies that are very similar uh, in this slow burn horror have such low ratings? Do you want to know why? Because why why is it? Do you want to know why? Because it forces people to look at themselves and the ugly side of things, and I think people generally go to the movies to have a good time. So when you go to the movies and you're sitting there watching uh, is a family train wreck with horrific violence, as well as Mother, who's... I don't even know what to say about that movie. It, it's it's hard for people to get on board with that as much as it is to watch a horror popcorn flick about teen werewolves going to spring break. You know? It's harder for people to do that than watching Scream where it's funny to watch it, you know? That's my theory you think it has anything to do with the fact that when, when i think about it, a lot of let's say like the um go to like the conjuring series all those movies yeah um, they're accessible they, they well they are very accessible and some of them are good some of them not so much i can tell you three of them i really like um but we'll wait but for another one one thing about those is they've all got a hero they do it's almost like there's like a, a supernatural horror superhero. You got your Van Helsing. Yeah. You I mean, got your you got your good guy. You got someone to root for. And and even even though these movies they always end with a happy ending. They might have something at the end that's like 
oh, is it is it really over? But for in general, it's a happy ending. Yeah. Uh, they get the job done. Movies like this, I mean, no nobody wins. The cult wins. Yeah, uh, the bad guys win. The cult yeah. wins the, you know, um, what's that, God and Mother? I don't know, something like that. And he, even in something like Midsummer, which uh, you get a very uh, engaging character arc with the the main girl, I can't remember her name. And right it now. is it's fantastic. Um, I mean, like like she did have a happy ending. However, she she had she had her own happy ending. Uh, it's just very different from yeah. what audiences are probably used to. It costs everybody she knows. <laughs> but that, but this movie, you know, nobody wins no uh, there there is no satisfying conclusion for anybody and i think that's what makes that's what really sticks to me about this film yeah i mean uh, like is because the fact that you know there there's no there's no reassuring message it's no. just pure horror yeah a a24 who produced this film they produce a lot of these elevated horror movies and a lot of them in that way. They, they're you're either going to have a solo, selfish, happy ending, or nothing at all. It's going to be horrific. And and um, but see, like those are what horror fans live for. Is because we don't we don't necessarily want to see the happy ending. We want to see the right ending. And and if if they would have if like um, Universal bought this and they were the producing company, it would be different. That that ending would be Tony Collette killing all the Colts. You know, with her payment powers or something, like which there's nothing wrong with a, a badass ending. Yeah. Uh, take our last episode, The Evil Dead. True. Yes, there is nothing wrong with that when it fits within the story. Like, yeah. But this is not a story about that. This is the story of once again control. They had no control from the beginning, and this is what happened. And um, I, I love these movies. Now I'm not watching these movies every night. Because I, I guess, I, I don't know, I'd be really sad all the time. Because it does stay with you. And I think that's another thing that audiences don't necessarily want either is something that they have to think about or go home with, you know. Um, but there are few people that, and not few people, there's a lot of people out there that do enjoy something that's going to give them a, a mental workout to. And not just be dumbed down for I like when audiences. I like when we can have a movie... That is made to be discussed like yeah, this. Yeah, it's fun. Like this is this is this is what he wanted. You know, this is what he created, and and it's his creation from start to, to finish. And you can tell there's a lot of love that went into it um, from a very very keen eye. And uh, now you know I saw Midsummer. I know you saw Midsummer. Yeah. Midsummer's not necessarily my favorite movie, but it is really well made. Once again, a, a horror movie in the daylight. Um, it, it is it is really hard for me to watch. It was it was very tough for me to watch. I don't know what it was, but I still have those last few images of the end of that movie behind my eyelids, and I don't think I'll watch it again unless we decide to do it for the podcast. See, what separates this movie? Uh, because in in general, Hereditary and Midsummer have the same general story person or group of people grieving uh, get caught up in some kind of uh, cult mess while seeking help shit hits the fan and everyone dies <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, pretty much. But something about Midsummer, uh, like I have, I mean, maybe we'll watch it again and we'll discuss it on the podcast. Um, but I have no real interest in watching it mm-hmm. again. Me uh, it felt like something that held all of its, uh, all of its strength and shock value. Whereas this movie was definitely very shocking. Uh, but it left a more profound impact. Yeah, and like uh, I, I do, I do want to say the caliber of acting is is amazing in this movie. Like the, I think a lot of it sold by the actors. And I'm not saying that Midsummer was not acted amazingly. I'm just saying that there there's one true star in that movie who can act, and that's the lead girl. Um, and I just uh, I didn't. I didn't care for the characters of Midsummer as much as I cared for this family for some reason. Probably because we all, you know, I, I come from even the, even the dad who I didn't remember the name of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you still, still felt for him. I still felt bad for him. I, mean, I was like, he, man, this this guy's just trying to take care of his yeah. family. He and when he stops at that stoplight and and like bellows out crying, you feel that pain, you know, yeah. uh, and you feel Tony Collette's pain when she realizes her daughter's dead. I mean, it it's hard. It's a hard watch. But it is so fucking scary because it feels so fucking real, even the supernatural stuff. And uh, like I said, that, that only can be attributed to, uh, to Ari Aster, who, once again, I think is going to do amazing things. I would love to see him outside of the horror realm, but I just think this is fucking wheelhouse. Like, that's yeah, what he does best. Um, so... I'm going to read a couple stray observations, see what you think about them, okay? Alright. Alright, we'll call this Campbell's Stray Observation Corner. Alright. That's a very straight... (laughs) Um, So I wrote, should have had a little casket for her head. (laughs) Okay. um, Let's see. Heater treehouse womb does look warm and inviting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like that. That's, that's, That's the best part. Like, I would love to sleep in that treehouse. She didn't shut Joan's front door. What the fuck? She didn't shut the door? No. She walks right in, the door stays open. (laughs) Don't understand that one. Well, no wonder they all have to die. Yeah, they had to. Um, So, whenever they're having that that very bad three-way dinner, I said, good dinner, bad conversation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what a coincidence Joan is here <laughs> alright this is almost a play by play um it's alright Annie conjuring your daughter is okay <laughs> when when uh, one of my favorite spooks uh, audio cat scare is when Tony Collette's driving back to the house She's obviously upset about what she saw with this with the seance, and then all of a sudden you hear as loud as can be, and it spooks her, and it got me too. I don't know why. Okay, like well, that that sound. Yeah, that sound is just that's it. That's all my funny stuff. Oh, I love I love Spider Annie, creepy as fuck. <laughs> naked smiling, <laughs> naked smiling man, dick scare. <laughs> that's the new name for the podcast. Dick scare. Anyway, hereditary. A A okay. My, uh, my fiance said uh, at that part, like, why are they always naked? Why are there always naked people? If you believe in demons, 
pagan, satan- satanic stuff, you got to get naked. It's the only way they come, literally. It's like you are you're transcending society. Yeah, no, you, you're, you're saying, fuck it, let's get naked and jerk off. Like, that's what they love. Satan and them love that shit. If we could call Satan right now, he'd be like, yeah, man, just get naked. Like, he loves that. Take the piano wire. Yeah, yeah. On their, on their yeah, penis. saw your dick <laughs> off and suck it. You know, like, they love that shit. You ever have a black mass? They're all totally naked. If you want to go see boobies and dick, become a Satan worshiper. If you have a goat farm, they're coming after your ass. <laughs> they love goats. They love cutting goats' necks. It's great. So anyway, I'm glad that I don't believe in any of it. And I can watch these movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Hereditary. Um, definitely worth a watch. Um, but be be warned. It's a heavy watch. But you will, you will enjoy it, I think. Very... Very heavy, very serious, but also it's very fun. It's fun. It's fun, and, and it is funny. There are funny moments. It's just, it's just, there's some crazy ass shit it's in not, this movie. I definitely watch this with people. Yeah, I watched it by myself last night because I think, uh, I mean, there, there are parts that disturbed me, but being able to be with uh, my fiance, we're able to laugh about it some, uh, such as. Charlie cutting off the head of the bird that yeah. just smashed into the window. Yeah, and I wrote, I wrote for that. I said, um, oh shit, where did I write that? It's funny. Um, uh, the crow thought she was attacking another bird. <laughs> what? The crow thought she was attacking another bird. The bird was Charlie. <laughs> oh. <laughs> she had a smush face. Okay. <laughs> Do you think? Alright, this may not make it on there, but do you think that Charlie was retarded or was on the spectrum? Or was not neither? She's well, socially awkward. Well, I guess I, we probably should have looked into uh, no, Mi- just, Millie, just a, Millie Shapiro. Because I, I don't know if she actually has any kind of No, no, uh, no. I think that prosthetics or, and stuff were... I think she's, an, she's a different looking girl, but I think prosthetics were added. Really? Yeah. I, I didn't... Uh, I don't think that's what she actually looks like. I, I think we're definitely led to believe uh, that she is on the, spe- the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. Um, I mean, especially with giving the, those ticks. The, yeah. And plus, just it... Being a 13-year-old. Uh, her, her being older. so... Yeah. So eccentric and so, um, like, not necessarily caring uh what other people think yeah um we're not not necessarily not caring but not able to uh think about what other people think of her yeah and so i mean that's a so i think she's definitely supposed to be on some kind of spectrum and uh which is, which is why it was very clear once peter was possessed uh you know he Lifting his hand up, but keeping it, uh, lifting his arm up, but keeping his hand, uh, yeah, tilted aside, yeah, yeah, limp to the side, um, kind of tilting his head. I mean, he looked not, not like, yeah, (laughs) not, not like to, you know, uh, create stereotypes or anything, but these are things that 
you know, our our signs. <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing a little too much. My name's Peter. I'm Charlie Payman. I was going to say... King of the headless people. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, anyway. We, see, this is the problem with this movie. We could keep talking all night. But we're close to an hour. We've said our piece. Would you recommend Hereditary to any horror fan? I, well, yes. Okay, I think even if there's films that you're uncomfortable watching, I think you should give them the chance and watch them. Yeah. I knew whenever we decided to do this for the second film, I knew Michael would dig it. He came in. We worked together, by the way. He came in and he said, I can't wait to talk about it, but we had to avoid each other most of the day and talk about other things. Like, what what price should you charge for photographs of casual nudes? So, um... $300. <laughs> you want it up front or now? <laughs> no. Um, but anyway, uh, I like I said, I, I really... It's one of my top horror films. It may not be number one. I think we all talked about my number one last week. But it is definitely one of the top ten at least. But we'll go through all those top tens eventually. Yeah, very very excited for Ari Aster's uh, next film. Definitely going to be keeping an eye on him. Yep. Midsummer didn't impress me so much. But this one did so much that I'm probably just gonna watch any film that he makes now. For sure, I definitely like. I missed I missed Hereditary in the theater, um, but um, I, I plan on and I missed Midsummer in the theater. So yeah, I plan on going to see this next one in the theater, and we may we may do that. We may do an episode right after we go see that movie. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's gonna be awesome. All right, so for Cat Scare, I'm Campbell. I'm Michael, and. <laughs>